Hi, and welcome to Messy in the Middle. I'm your host, Jessica Lee. This is a podcast featuring real women's stories about their journey, the messy part, the trials and tribulations to get from recurrent miscarriage and infertility to baby. Join us as we talk, cry, laugh, and get unbelievably vulnerable to feel less alone in the gang that no one wants to be a part of. Hello, and welcome back. I do, as always, need to apologize that this is taking me a long time to get episodes out. I'm just now starting to get into a rhythm with Noah where I do have a little bit more free time once he goes to bed. I'm not feeling like I need to go to sleep as soon as he goes to sleep because he's um, starting to sleep um, some longer stretches during the night. So I am not feeling completely debilitated in the morning. And yeah, so I'm starting to get into a good rhythm where I've got more time to myself to get this done. Now, little update on me. I am suspecting the Ashermans is back. I'm not quite sure how severely. What I've experienced over the last couple of months, like I noticed it last month and I thought I'm going to start paying attention to this, where the end of January I felt like I was getting my period. I had some quite strong cramping Uh, back pain, that kind of thing where you feel like your period is like imminent, it's going to come any day now and nothing came of it. It lasted like really intense for one day then started to taper off. Now the same thing has happened at the end of February and I feel like the pain was a little more intense and it lasted a day and a half before it, it died down and still no period to be seen. So I'm unsure whether either my cervix is completely scarred over and nothing can get out or if the scarring is just that bad that I've got no lining to shed. I'm probably going to leave it another month before I get it investigated and it's more just for my own peace of mind and knowing what's going on with my body. I'm not going to get a hysteroscopy straight away, don't have the money and I guess it's not really that important when I'm not looking to conceive. But I will be asking my doctor for, you know, some hormone blood tests, uh, see if it actually is my period and also one of those saline ultrasounds because that can show up scarring. So that's just going to be a cheaper alternative to, you know, going in for yet another surgery to see what's going on. The other thing I was actually thinking about doing is starting to track my temperature again just to see though there are those fluctuations like am I ovulating, could this be my period or is something else going on. So yeah, a few things to look at. The pain is pretty intense and if my cervix is blocked and nothing can get out, is that going to get worse? So, I yeah, look, I don't know what the action plan is from here. I still really hadn't made another decision on whether I would like to try and have a third baby. I just think the decision is going to be taken out of my hands. I feel like at this point of time I would be content with two, but I think I would always have this wondering about, oh, should, should I have gone back? Um, I really did enjoy being pregnant once I got past the first trimester with Noah. So, 
yeah, I just I think the decision's going to be taken away from me and I guess I will go through a grieving period if it does come to that or, yeah, I don't know if my body could handle another pregnancy anyway. It was pretty sketchy <laughs> with everything that happened after Noah's birth. But anywho, that's my little update and I'm, yeah, really hoping I can become more consistent now. This episode features Katrina and her journey with trying to conceive. I'm not going to give too much away, but I love talking to her. This was recorded prior to Noah being born. So I've got Katrina's episode, this one, and then two others that were pre-recorded just before Noah was born. So we'll get through those and then I will be looking at getting some more people on to share their stories so yeah look out for that I'll put something on the Instagram page when I'm ready to yeah get some people on board to share their share their stories with us all right I hope you enjoy listening and gain some insight and some knowledge and I hope that her story gives you a little bit of hope wherever you are at in your journey hi Katrina thank you so much for joining me tonight Thank you so much for having me and thank you for giving me a platform to share my story. Thank you for being vulnerable enough to come on and share it. It's a big thing to do. It is. I mean, I don't really see it as being vulnerable. I mean, I guess I guess it is, but I also just I'm so happy to talk about it to anyone. I just think it's really important to to kind of start the conversations and, yeah, open up that. Completely agree. Do you want to start off by telling me your age, where you're from and who's in your family? Yep. Um, so I'm 31. I'll be 32 very soon. Um, and I'm from Newcastle in New South Wales, Australia. And I live with my husband. His name's Bryce. And we've been together about eight and a half years now. And we, um, we've been married for almost three. And we have our cat, Barnabas, which is a very impo- important part of this, well, this story, but big part of our family. Um, like the easiest way I can say it is that he essentially saved my life through, um, this fertility journey for us. So he's really important to us. So, definitely a big part of the family um and then we have our first little baby on the way in my belly so exciting how did your trying to conceive journey start so after we got married um I think all along in my head if I if I'd had a a life plan I think I'd always thought that I would start trying to have a baby around 30 that was kind of you know if it happened to happen before then Bryce and I were quite happy for that as well Uh, but we thought if we were going to plan it probably around 30 and then we got married when I was just 29 and we got a bit we just got a bit excited I think and um, we had to wait until the following year Um, so another six or seven months before we could go on a little like honeymoon trip and we just, I think, you know, it was still another six or 
so months until I would be 30, but we were a bit like, oh, let's just start trying and see what happens. You know, we, we wanted to get to the honeymoon so that we could both enjoy ourselves. Um, and then kind of while we were there, we were like, well, let's just, you know, why not? Let's just see how we go. And, um, yeah, never would I have ever expected that we were going to run into the troubles that we did, um, particularly because I've always been very regular in my cycles, like very spot on pretty for a really long time. Mm -hmm. I hadn't been on contraception for years previous to starting to try. Yeah, I I just, yeah, never would have thought that we were going to, yeah, have trouble. But that's okay. So we started trying and then, you know, it's probably for the first three or four months when nothing happened, I did start to get a bit like this is odd because of what I just explained. Mm. Um, and... I was starting to get a bit, um, for, I was starting to find it hard. And I know that sounds like four, three, four months is not a long time. But, you know, when you're, when you're thinking everything's okay and you're kind of expecting it to happen. And I had another friend at the time that was also trying. So we were kind of, you know, chatting to each other about it. And um, I'll, I'll point out as well that this was, 2021 so we had a few COVID lockdowns um and my workplace was closed I was doing a little bit of work from home but essentially I just had way too much time to think about it yeah. <laughs> um and I was starting to get very obsessive with the things I was doing so was really looking at alcohol um basically just trying to keep my diet as clean as possible. I was really going right into the nutritional research around it, trying this, trying that, um, yeah, and different ways of doing it over, you know, one month you'll do every second night and then another month you'll do every night and then another month you, you sort of, you just question everything. I mean, it's just such a long, tedious process. Um so I was already doing all of that and that was only like three or four months and I think a lot of that was because I just had too much time to think about it. Mm -hmm. um, and so it was six months in to trying and I really was starting to think, yeah, we're probably going to have to need to look into this soon and I started to get that anxiety around, are we going to be listened to, you know, because you hear so many stories of people that, just they go to their doctor to try and get some answers and they say, oh, it's only been six months, wait till a year kind of thing. And it's crazy, but yeah. it scares you. It, it does because it's like, yeah, I mean, that already felt like a really long time. Um, so I think it was like our six month of trying. And my other friend that we were sort of going through this a bit together, she actually did fall pregnant. And it was my first experience of that you know, trying to be happy for someone else when, you know, you're just left there thinking, but why not me, you know, especially when I was so regular, so healthy, couldn't see a reason why it wasn't happening. Um, and, and she was quite, she was having 
different cycle problems than that to me. And so it was kind of, I was thinking, how is that? How has that happened? And it hasn't happened for me. You know, there's so much comparison in, in this journey. So much. So Makes much. it very hard. Anyway, so I think when she told me to, I'd actually got my period maybe one or two days before that. So I kind of knew my month was over. Um, and this was during lockdown. And I remember just being in such a bad place. And I just drove over to my mum's and told my mum and, she straight away just said, of course, you were probably gushing that you were excited when really or happy for her when really you wanted to just die inside. And I was like, absolutely, that's exactly how I felt. So, mm-hmm. you know, lucky I had the support from her, but I was a mess. Um, and it probably makes sense why maybe um, because about I sort of like, you know, I had a, I, I struggled mentally while I had my period and then that kind of ended and I kind of accepted and I went, all right, well, moving on next month, you know. And then a week after my period had arrived, so a week into my cycle, and for me, a cycle's typically only three or four days. I'm not a heavy bleeder. Um, so it was well and truly done. Mm. Um, and I woke in the morning really early with some right-handed side pain in my pelvis. It wasn't really bad it was just enough for me to think hmm that feels like period pain and I got up and went to the bathroom and when I did a wee there was a little bit of blood and that's very very strange for me I don't break through bleed ever hadn't for a long time um not since I'd been off contraception so I was thinking oh and I actually um I probably freaked myself out a little bit but I got quite lightheaded, quite nauseous, and I'm thinking, oh, my God, am I, do I have, like, a kidney infection? Like, what's going on here? And I don't know why, but there was just something in my head that went, I'll just do a pregnancy test because I hadn't actually bothered to do one that cycle because I'd gotten to the point, you know, that point where you get to where you're just sick of seeing the negative test, so you kind of wait for your period to arrive, and when that would happen, you'd go, well, this is it for me. Um, so I hadn't done one. So I thought, well, I'll just do one. I think it'll make me feel better. So I did one. I had one just in the cupboard there. Um, and because I was feeling so unwell, I went and laid down on the lounge until the nausea passed. And I was thinking, oh, I'm going to have to see a doctor today. This is not, something's not right. Went back in to check the pregnancy test and it was positive. And that was just, it just blew my mind. I just... And I definitely wasn't excited. I just kind of looked at it and thought, this can't be right. There's something off here. So when I woke my husband up, I think it was like 4.30 a.m. or something at this point. And I was very freaked out. And I said, look, I've just done this, you know, and it's that's kind of crappy too because it's not really the way, I mean, if you are pregnant, it's not really the way you want to tell no, it's not. Yeah. about it. Like, I was, was that your first positive as well? That was my very first positive, yeah. They'd always been, like, stark negatives. Mm. Um, Yeah, so that was very strange. So I did another one because I was thinking, better just make sure. Um, And then I rang the hospital for advice and I said, look, this is happening. I've had a little bit of bleeding. And she said, well, if you're bleeding and you've got a positive test, you should probably come in. So I went to emergency and they did some bloods. 
The funniest thing was is that they did a urine test and the urine test came back negative. So I was like, well, I even got another pregnancy test, a digital one, on the way to the hospital and did it in the public toilets Mm -hmm. at the supermarket (laughs) just to make sure. So I was fairly sure, like, they were very positive. And when that came back negative, that confused me even more. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, I'm I'm going mad. But I... I said to the, um, to the nurse when they took me in to see me, um, I was like, I can show you, like, I can, I've taken pictures, I can show you that I'm not lying. Um, but then the bloods came back and there was HCG there. Um, so I told them that I had a really normal period, a really very, very normal period. Like I, I maybe had from memory a little bit more pain than what, but, that period pain for me, I've always had it pretty bad to the point where I've needed proper period pain medication, like Nurofen Panadol won't do it. But it's usually just that first day. Yeah. Um. So I do remember vaguely it being a little bit more pain. And then, of course, I had like that little bit of pain on the right side that morning. By the time I got to the hospital, it had stopped. So the pain had subsided. I wasn't bleeding or anything. Um, so they said, okay, look, we'll take you for an ultrasound, but with the amount of HCG there, um, plus how early you would be in the pregnancy, mm. it's likely we'll not see anything. But I said, would it rule out ectopic though? If you didn't see anything in the tubes today, would it rule that out? And they said, most likely. So it's had amazing that you even had the sense to ask that. Because I think yeah, if I go back to my very first pregnancy and even my first miscarriage, I don't think ectopic was even on my radar. Yeah. For some reason I'd known about it. I knew what it was. Um, There was a girl I was following on Instagram at the time. He'd had a couple of miscarriages and she had had a similar experience where she woke with the pain and stuff and she was worried about that. It wasn't ectopic Uh, for her. But I sort of had a bit of knowledge on it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so we did the ultrasound and, of course, I couldn't see anything. Mm. There was nothing, nothing in the uterus, nothing in the tubes. So they just said, you know, there's really nothing else we can do but send you for some more bloods, see which way the HCG is going because, you know, at that point I could have miscarried. I could have been starting to miscarriage. I could have been going down. So mm. they said, we'll just check which way they're going and then, you know, if the bloods come back that good and they're going up nicely, we'll book you in for a dating scan and then we'll see if we can see something then. And I thought, okay, well, you know, and then after that I had no more pain, um, nothing, just went home and then somehow (laughs) this next week of my life I look back and I think I just don't even know how I was getting through it. I had the next lot of bloods done. um, So this was on a Wednesday, so I had the next lot of bloods done on the Friday. And I remember driving to that blood appointment and just, I was a mess. I was just so anxious. I'd started being, I'd started to get a little bit of dark brown spotting, not heavy, super light, but very dark. Um, And because that was happening, had a few little twinges here and there in my pelvis, but you Google all this stuff and Google says it's all can be, it's like very vague. So I remember driving to this blood test and just I think I sat down in the chair and she was like, are you okay? And I was like, I'm just very, very anxious. I don't feel well. Um, So she took the bloods and I just sort of got it done. Um, And then 
yeah, I think I just had this sensation that every time I, I went to the bathroom there was going to be, I just felt like I was bleeding and I wasn't at all, like nothing, mm. just a little bit of spotting here and there and I just felt like that's what was happening and every time I went to the bathroom I had that sense of, oh, my God, is it going to be, are we miscarrying? So then, of course, it being on a Friday, I rang on the Friday not, um, afternoon to see if I could get the results and, of course, they didn't have them. She said, you're going to have to wait till Monday, and which was uh, just excruciating. <laughs> so <laughs> um, much waiting, hey? Oh, so much waiting. And even the lady on the phone, she said, this is just pregnancy. It's just it's such a waiting game, especially early on. Yeah. So got through the weekend somehow. Um, I was feeling okay. Again, no more pain, nothing really to really go off at all. Um, and then on the Monday made the phone call, HCG was going up perfectly, really, wow. really nice. He said, this is a really good sign. Um, let's book in your dating scan for about six or seven weeks. We need to just see if we can see something in there now. So I booked that in, I think, for another two weeks after that. Um, but then another two days after, so that was the Monday by the Wednesday, so it was exactly a week after that first hospital experience. I woke probably about the exact same time in the morning, but I had quite strong pain, so it was worse than what it was the first time. Um, I got up, went to the toilet, and when I did a wee, it, it hurt. It proper hurt my bladder. It wasn't like a UTI kind of hurt. It was like a, my bladder was hurting. And then I was getting this really bad right-sided pain. The best way I can describe it as it started kind of up near my hip bone and just shot straight through to my pubic bone. Yeah. So I just knew straight away I was like, something's, I've got to go to the hospital straight away. And I think you know something's bad because no one wants to go to the hospital unless no. they have to. But I just woke my husband up and I said, I've got to go. You need to take me. And I feel like in that, probably that 20 minutes it took for us to get organized it got very bad very quick um and I remember being in the car on the way there and just thinking just get me there just get me there um and the bumps and everything were just yeah horrendous lucky we were only about 10-15 minutes away from the hospital so it's not a long journey but um you know and I'd woken him up again at like 4 a.m in the morning and I sort of sensed that he was a bit like oh, maybe you're just getting a little bit carried away. Like maybe you're just getting too stressed now. But I was, you know, I, I think I was just even in too much pain to say much. I just said, I need to get there, so take me. Yeah. <laughs> so I got there and walked in and explained to them that I was, I thought I was about six weeks pregnant. That would have been going off my last period and that I was having this really bad pain. So I went in. They gave me Panadol to start with, did some bloods, um, got me to explain it, did a urine test again, and they were fairly sure. So the nurse that I had in the um, triage, she was the same one I had exactly the week before. And she said to me, didn't we confirm that your pregnancy was in your uterus? And I was like, well, no, because they couldn't see anything. She's like, well, I'm going to check your notes because I'm pretty sure we did confirm it was in utero. So then I'm thinking, okay, maybe everything is all right. And they were pretty sure, judging by my symptoms, that maybe it was like a kidney stone, okay. um, which can be common, I think, in early pregnancy. And I, um, I was like thinking by this stage I'd had this Panadol and it was just, the pain was just horrendous. And I said, 
you know, like, am I going to, like, are you going to give me something else? She said, well, if it's a kidney stone, you're probably going to need endone. But anyway, they sent me back out into the waiting room until I could see a doctor. And I probably should explain as well that this was still during COVID where there was the rules and you had to go, you couldn't take anyone into emergency with you. So my husband waited in the car park and he did the same the week before as well. So I was sort of in there dealing with this all by myself. You know, that's so hard, just dropping someone at the front door, you know, and watching them walk yeah. in the pain. Yeah. Um, so I was sitting in this waiting room and it just, it was just getting so, so bad, this pain. I started crying and I went over to the nurse and I said I think I need something a bit stronger for this pain and she looked up and she said looked me up and she said the doctor's just about to come get you can you just wait five ten minutes and I just like half crawled back over to my chair and I was waiting for the doctor to come and I I remember having this real desperation of I'm going to throw myself on my knees to the next person that walks out that door and say, someone help me because I just, the pain was excruciating. So they came and got me and then I shuffled into the room and they gave me a bed. And then that's when I said, look, my pain's really bad. So they got me straight on to endone and, you know, straight away, of course, I'm, is this going to be okay for the baby? You know, you just think about that straight away. Um, Anyway, so they they got the blood results back and the doctor said to me, your HCG's gone up really, really good. So that's a good sign. So again, I'm there thinking, this is this might be all okay. Maybe this is just a kidney stone. I'm thinking, wow, these are painful. I don't know how people do this. <laughs> um, and then they came and they got me for an ultrasound. By this point, I'd had no bleeding at all, just this really, really bad pain. Um, so they took me for the ultrasound. At this point, I just said, I don't think I can bear anyone to touch me or go anywhere near me down there. So they ended up having to give me morphine just to get through the ultrasound. So I'd had like two endone and um, morphine through the drip um, just to get me to the ultrasound. So by then I was a bit more comfortable enough for, you know, they were going to have to do an internal mm-hmm. And so started the ultrasound and the sonographer sort of just said to me, something's happened. I can see a lot of fluid and I can see like a pregnancy cyst up in your right ovary, which he's like can be normal. That's a normal thing with pregnancy. Um, but basically he was like, I can see something. He didn't really say much about my uterus. So I was kind of thinking, this is not going to be good and doesn't sound like there's a pregnancy there at all. So I got up and went to the bathroom while I was in the ultrasound room and I went to the bathroom and just felt this like whoosh and looked down and then there was all the blood. So I just started bleeding right down through my legs and I went back to the bed and I said to the sonographer, I've just started bleeding quite a lot. And he was like, okay, well, I think we'll just get you back to your bed and we'll we'll get the report to the doctor as soon as we can. And bless this this sonographer was so lovely. He because there was just blood everywhere by then. So he was like, "Let me just help you change. Let's just change the sheets." He's like, "You jump up. 
I'll change them for you, put some fresh ones on. So at least that was nice. I didn't have to like go back and just sit there in, you know, my yeah. own club. So yeah. Get back there. And, you know, my, mind you, this, I, I'm, I'm actually surprised I can remember a lot of this because I was so drugged up, still in quite a lot of pain too. Um, so I went back to the room and then the gynecologist came down to see me and she sat on the edge of the bed and she held my hand and she said, I'm really sorry to tell you, but we are going to deem this an ectopic pregnancy. Um, and she sort of then went into a bit of the um, ins and outs of what that meant. Mm. She said, we are going to have to do emergency surgery on you because your tube has partially ruptured already. Mm. Um, and you've got a lot of internal bleeding. And if we don't do this, things are going to be very bad. And, you know, I think one of the first things I said was, so there's no chance we can save the pregnancy. And that sounds so dumb when you know what an ectopic pregnancy is, but I think you're just holding on to that tiny bit of hope. And, you know, so, you know, I was a mess. I was crying. I was in there by myself. I remember calling my husband and my mum and I was just sobbing. My mum didn't even know I was pregnant, so... It was a lot for her. I just rang and said, mm. you know, I wish I wasn't telling you this way, but I'm pregnant and unfortunately it's ectopic. So I am going to go in for emergency surgery. And I said, I need you to come because at this point you could have no one in emergency, but once you were taken to the ward, you could have someone, one person with you, but they had to be double vaccinated. Yeah. And this was right as we were in between that. Um, and Bryce had only had one. I had only had one as well. You know, they made it really hard for our age group to get. And, of course, I yeah. wanted a particular one because we were trying to conceive. Yeah. It was, that was on top of all that as well. Crazy times. Um, so, you know, I just I feel so much for Bryce in this time because he couldn't see me. All he got was a phone call. Yeah. a horrible phone call to say what was about to happen and that essentially I was fighting for my life then because um, I was already losing quite a lot of blood. Yeah. Um, and they came in to do a little cervix check and I remember just I just about jumped off the bed in pain. I It was just the pain I can't even believe I'd had. I think I'd even had a little bit more endone by this point and the pain was still just... That's yeah, like nothing I've ever felt before. Yeah. So they ended up taking me up to the ward and um, my mum came up straight away and the poor thing, like she probably walked in at the worst time because I'd gone to have the shower to wash with the antibacterial and while I was in there I had I just basically almost passed out. So I <laughs> I ditched all my clothes in this hospital bathroom and just walked straight back to my bed and just fell in this like fetal position and that's exactly when my mum walked in and so you can imagine she must have just been thinking oh my gosh what what is happening you poor thing yeah. um so anyway then went in for my emergency surgery and spent the night in hospital um recovery was was fairly okay I had some bladder issues and ended up with a catheter overnight and stuff um but I think by that point I was so exhausted and just trying to process everything um, that it just I just went with it all. Yeah, so 
that was the ectopic pregnancy, which, yeah, I don't even know if I've fully processed it properly yet because the amount of drugs that I was on, um, and I have been working with a perinatal psych since, psychologist since um, the ectopic pregnancy, and we did find out that I hadn't actually mentally processed it properly because I couldn't actually attach any kind of emotions to it. Mm. Um, so that's, that was an interesting experience working with that as well. But um, I remember after coming out of surgery and my husband ringing me and like, he doesn't cry much. And he was just sobbing on the other end of the phone. I think he was just so scared that he was going to lose me. And I mean, obviously we, we were both grieving the loss of a baby that for one whole week we had potentially started thinking that it could be a possibility, you know. Um, yeah, so that was awful. I can't fault the hospital. They looked after me really, really well. They put me in a private room. They had the butterfly in the door. So anybody that walked in knew what I was going through and that it was a sensitive situation. Oh, that's um, yeah, they were, they were really, really good, um, all the doctors and nurses. I did have, um, and this is me just wanting to be helpful to others, but I did have a few, like they did ask me if I would speak to some students about my experience to help with their education. And in hindsight, probably wasn't a good idea because, you know, I just don't even know what I was feeling in that point and I was just an emotional mess. But, I mean, maybe it started a bit of healing process. I'm I'm not sure. But, um, you know, the next day I remember them coming up and saying to me, you can go home today if you want. We'll get your discharge papers ready. Um, I had no idea what I was in for. I They didn't send me home with any pain relief. They just said, they just said, yeah, Panadol, Nurofen. And so while I'd had the surgery, they um, so they removed the – I did get to keep my ovary in the end. So, I mean, that was a positive because, you know, that does determine a bit of a, a fertility factor. And mm. I did kind of learn a lot actually too through the whole thing. I didn't realise that um, your tubes, you know, like I, even though I'd ovulate maybe from the side that the tube wasn't on, it will still swing around and pick it up. Yeah, how crazy is like, that? Yeah, it's crazy. She said to me, you know, you see the, the anatomy, female anatomy on a page and it's all laid out. Mm. She's like, when it's in you, it's like just all jump, jumbled up in there. So when they explained that to me, I was like, wow, that's kind of cool. And I guess that felt positive in the sense that I wasn't going to halve my fertility at that point because I still had both ovaries. Um, and they did give me a lot of hope. Uh, while they were in surgery, they found a bit of mild endometriosis, which I'd had my suspicions that I had because of the pain that I'd always experienced with my periods. Yeah. So that didn't surprise me, but it was just a mild diagnosis. It wasn't like a really horrendous amount of endo, mm. but they, they did burn all that out. They, and they did a, I think like a, like a DNC, like a curate as well yeah. while they were in there. So a good clean out. And so after that, they're sort of saying to me, you know, have you meant you meant to wait two to three cycles, I think, before trying again after that kind of surgery. So I said, wait, wait your time, recover, start trying again. And they just said to me, you should have a much, much better chance at pregnancy this time around. 
you know, with the endometriosis gone, you know, and just a reset, um, you know, they obviously can't give you much of an idea of why an ectopic pregnancy happens. Yeah. Um, but they did. I did leave there feeling really hopeful, which in the end I'm not sure if that was good or bad. So went home and begun the recovery process. That first night was my advice would be to anybody after that kind of surgery or that kind of experience is don't, don't go home without some sort of pain relief that's going to get you through that first night. I, I was so, give you anything. They didn't give me anything. I, yeah, I don't know if it was because I'd had the day before I'd had so much endone and so much morphine plus the surgery. I think being that I'm quite a small person, they were a bit, and I was sort of, I was fine when I left the hospital. I mean, it's such a false sense of security. Yeah. And then by that night, I just, the gas pain is probably the worst. I don't know if anybody said that to you before after laparoscopic surgery, but they blow up your stomach with gas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's actually the worst part. It's not so much the wounds. It's the, you get this trapped gas in your belly, especially being a smaller person. I think it's a bit harder for them to get it out. I'm not sure, but you get this really bad shoulder pain and diaphragm pain. And so I was crying because I was in pain. But then when I was crying, that was hurting my diaphragm more. And I almost got to the point where I said to, well, I, was good, I said to Bryce, can you ring them and get them to do a script for Endone and we'll go pick it up because I was just in so much pain. But I ended up going out to the lounge room and I slept that first night sitting up. It was the only way I could breathe and get comfortable. So, yeah, probably about two weeks. I was planning to go back to work after one week and then I shuffled into my doctor's office for the follow-up and she was like, no, no, you need another week because my job's so physical. Yeah. Um, so I ended up having two weeks off work and it did take me that full two weeks to fully get mobile again. I think just like, um, I don't know about just regular laparoscopic surgery, but maybe just because I had so much done, but then also I had a lot of trauma through there from the blood clotting, from the rupturing of the tube, everything was probably just very tender anyway. Yes. So after that, I kind of threw myself into my personal life a little bit. I had my 30th birthday, which was a really tough one. I didn't want to do anything. It was only about maybe three or four weeks after this experience. Um, So I was still kind of recovering emotionally and mentally, but I did decide to, to celebrate it in the end. So I kind of threw myself into that a little bit. And then this was the the ectopic was in was end of October, so this is coming towards the end of the year. So then we had Christmas and then New Year's, and I kind of just pushed it all aside and I just threw myself into all that social stuff and just tried to move on. And so I decided around Christmas time that we were ready to start trying again. So we then I just kind of threw myself back into that. So pretty much went straight back into that same headspace that I was in before the ectopic. So I was doing all the research, um, trying all the different things, one month, one thing, one month, next thing, just because, you know, you don't want too many variables. It's just, it's just crazy how obsessive you can get over it. It just consumes you. Um, Yeah. So kind of threw ourselves back into trying again And, you know, at this point with everything that's gone on, I'm thinking if there's an issue, it's definitely me. 
because I've had the endo diagnosis, I've had the ectopic pregnancy, something's not not right. So I remember going to my doctor, maybe we tried for another two or three months, still nothing was happening. I'd gone back to a very regular cycle after surgery, after the um, ectopic pregnancy, basically just went back to like nothing had happened. My body just went back to normal, um, which is just so typical of, of me with what I've experienced with all my cycles. And I mean, I guess that's a good thing. That's what you want. You want it to be able to be something you can follow. So again, it's not happening and I'm going, there's just something not right here. So, you know, we were coming up to 12 months of, of trying, I guess, you know, we had the ectopic in there, but you know, it was about that. And lucky I had a really, really great GP, but she's like, I think given your, given your recent experience and, you know, you're still young, but you're in your early thirties now, we might start trying to have a look and you know, a further look at investigation to see what's going on here maybe. So she sent me for a bunch of of different tests that she could do on her end as a GP. And amazingly, she said to me, how are you going mentally after your experience? And I straight up just said, I'm not good. I'm really, really struggling. It probably didn't help at the time. I had a lot of personal struggles going on as well. I had some issues with family. I had some issue with with friends. I was also studying pre and postnatal um, and women's health for fitness at the time too. So, I mean, that was a bit of a yeah. I don't know whether that was helpful or not because yeah. <laughs> I was kind of right in there too and there were some times where I had to set it aside and just go I can't do this today but then there were other times where it felt really productive because I was just learning so much about it at the same time mm. so I had a lot going on there personally as well as struggling with infertility and recovering from the ectopic and if I look back I think because I'd thrown myself into my personal life when I was recovering from that in that early next year, things kind of just went back to normal. And I think that's when I actually started processing the trauma. So I think it was probably three or four months before I started, you know, and because every single cycle I would have to test for pregnancy regardless because I'd had such a normal period mm. that, that time. And so I would usually wait until I got my period. And most of the time I knew it was coming. So I would be in such a bad headspace and then it would show up and then I'd go, well, better do a pregnancy test just to be safe because mm. I had I just struggled with the anxiety of having another ectopic pregnancy every single month. It was that anxiety was there. Yeah. So I'd do the pregnancy test and it would be stark negative every single time. I don't think I ever really once had like a faint line or an EVAP or anything like that. So it was really good that my GP asked me and she said, look, let's get you into a perinatal psychologist. I think this is going to be important. So, and lucky she did because that became for last year. So this is into 2022 now for the whole of last year was just such a lifeline for me. Um, and I'm so lucky that I found someone so good straight mm -hmm. away. Um, she really looked after me. So started seeing the psychologist and this is when we started to delve into my trauma around um, the ectopic pregnancy but then just how many triggers I was facing from day to day. We, um, 
we're sort of in that age group and in our friend group, in our personal life, everybody's having babies, everyone's falling pregnant, a lot of them really easily as well, which makes it really, really hard to understand without without being too blunt, perhaps people that don't look after themselves as well as my husband and I do, like we're very, you know, fitness-orientated people, um, very healthy. It's always been a huge passion of mine. So it's hard, you know, it's hard when you're seeing people who don't really look after themselves, it kind of is happening and you think, yeah. oh, God, like, you know. So there was that on top of that. And then being that I, in the industry that I work in, um, you know, I'm, I'm often having people tell me on a daily basis that they've fallen pregnant, pregnant or that I'm going to work and I might have a pregnant client at least twice a week or something. So it was a constant trigger for me every single day. And I did really, we worked out between my psychologist and I that my triggers were more so based around pregnancy and falling pregnant versus actual babies. Yeah. I seemed to have no issue with babies once they were born and when they were in, if I was to hold them, that didn't seem to bother me as much, but people falling pregnant and announcing their pregnancies on social media, all of that, that was where I really was struggling. It's so, so interesting that she got you to identify that because it's something that I've thought about quite regularly as well. When mm-hmm. I was, well, I wouldn't let myself even try and conceive until I found out what was wrong, but I had friends who would fall pregnant during that time or my best friend was we had fallen pregnant at the same time and I lost my baby and she didn't (laughs) so it was like once she'd given birth and that it was like that part of it like it was completely fine I was not triggered by that at all it was one reaching my due date milestone that was really shit her baby shower was really shit Um, And the fact that, yeah, we were not experiencing this together like we should have been. 100%. I definitely had that experience with with a few friends as well, quite a few close friends and family as well. Mm. It's really sad. There's there's relationships break down because of this and it's so hard for people to understand that haven't been through this but... Yeah, it's just, it's it's very sad that has to happen. But, mm-hmm. you know, you can't make everyone try and understand. No, and people um, have their own process but, and their own traumas. Yeah, but this, my, my psychologist was honestly amazing. And um, we'll go into a little bit of this now, but I just want to mention it is heavy. But I did start to, to really, really struggle with my mental health. It was really bad I um I was seeing my psychologist fortnightly sometimes weekly she was trying to do some therapy with me around triggers and the ectopic pregnancy once she'd identified that I actually hadn't emotionally processed any of that um and we tried to work on it every session and we just couldn't because every time I would go in and see her something else would happen that just took me right down to below zero again. I just couldn't make any progress because it was just a cascade of just really hard things to deal with in life. So, yeah, it was just unbelievable how many people around me fell pregnant in that time, which obviously made it a lot harder. It's hard already, but with that on top of it. And so... 
she actually identified in me and I think this is just so amazing because I came in on this one day this appointment and said I'm somewhat feeling myself today and I don't she and she said what what do you mean you're just feeling a little bit yourself today and I was like well I don't actually remember the last time I really did feel myself and she just instead of thinking instead of kind of just going well that's great you're making progress. She said, no, that's a massive red flag. You can't be not feeling that. You can't be feeling that bad for that amount of time. And so then we had a big discussion on where she basically just said to me, have you been feeling suicidal? And I said, you know, it's such a hard thing to admit and even talk about, but I felt just so safe with her. And I said, yes. And that's when she said, look, we're going to do a safety plan. We're going to make an appointment for you to see a psychiatrist. I think it's time we start to think about some medication. And, you know, she wanted to make it safe for me, um, given that we were trying to conceive. So she said, we'll see a perinatal psychiatrist, make sure that you're, you know, doing the right thing. And then we sort of kind of went into chatting about what was going on. But at the time, I I almost couldn't, I just was barely functioning. I don't even know how I was going to work but in hindsight I think that that was one of the only things that kept me going because I had to show up for people and that's so so hard when you're struggling with depression Mm. but it got me out of bed every morning and it kept me going in my routine and I'm a really responsible person I don't like letting people down so it really did keep me going but it was also dangerous in the fact that I would put this mask on all day long and that's so exhausting. And then I would get into the car of the night time and just time after time again, I'd be driving home and I would just sob the whole way. There was definitely three or four times where I almost just drove myself off the road, which my psychologist just said, we can't have you doing that. It's it's just you can decide that in a split second. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, and there were, there were lots of other different um, suicidal thoughts I had at the time too. I just, I was very much at rock bottom and felt this overwhelming feeling of worthlessness. I just, I think because it wasn't just the infertility, but there was a lot of other personal things going on and I had completely isolated myself from everyone. I didn't want to go anywhere. I didn't want to see anyone. I was I'd got myself into this habit at work to, you know, I'm because I see clients, I see might see 15 different people in a day and the first thing everyone asks you is, how are you? So I'd got myself into this habit of I couldn't even say, you know, a fake good anymore. I just said, not too bad. That was just my response. I couldn't, I couldn't even lie anymore and there were so many people that actually picked up on it and said there's just, you're just not yourself um and I did have a lot of support from my clients in at the time as well which really helped but you know then I'm being hard on myself because I'm feeling like I'm not being professional and I'm taking my personal life to work and Mm. there was just pressure coming from everywhere and you know then you have friends that sort of stop inviting you to things because you stop going yeah. You know, you, you can open up to them and say, I'm really struggling at the moment. And, you know, they'll say, well, I'm here for you. But, you know, they've got their own lives to live. Everyone's busy, mm. you know. And so I'm. it's just a typical trait of mine. If I'm struggling, I just withdraw. 
so anyway, the psychologist helped me kind of um, identify all these things, which was great. So she was really my lifeline. I feel like if I hadn't had her pick up on these things, there's quite there is quite a possibility that I wasn't going to make it through mm-hmm. last year with how bad my mental health was. Was your husband um, picking up on this? Yeah, 100%. And he, I just have, yeah, I have to mention, since you've mentioned that, he just was so amazing during this time. He did everything that he could to support me. Mm. He never pressured me. He, sometimes he would just sit with me and just let me cry, which I think is what I needed. I remember one night I got her made at home from work, but I'd cried the whole way home and I messaged him from the car at the front of my house and just said I think I'm broken I can't even get out the car I just was there was just nothing left I was just very yeah so he had to actually come out and help me out of the car take me in and you know I wasn't really eating much I'd really yeah I was just really a scarig of the normal bright bubbly person that I am (laughs) So, yeah, looking back on all that, it makes me want to cry now. I just can't even believe how much of a bad place I was in. So I ended up starting medication for, like, antidepressant, anti-anxiety, which was honestly, I'm so happy to talk about it, and I think people need to talk about it more because it's quite common, actually. Yeah. But it was just, just such a good decision and I was I look back and I think I was so against it I really struggled with it I had the script and I think I had it in my bag for maybe one or two weeks before I actually went and got it filled it took me a really long time to get my head around it and part of that was because we were still trying to have a baby you know and and a lot of people could argue with you know, it really doesn't sound like mentally you were in the right place to be trying to have a baby, but in my head it was going to fix everything. I felt like if I got... 22, isn't it? Yeah. I thought, yep, I'm going to be fine. And, you know, so... And I was sort of adamant about that. So I wasn't going to waste time not trying because we'd come this far, had already been so wrong, you know, and I was kind of just starting to get really used to the negative tests and... It just was, it just became like an, a regular part of life and you'd start, you know, you'd get your negative and then you'd start the month all over again, you know, but I was really, I was, I was really doing the, all the things. So it was just, it, yeah, it was almost like an obsessive, still an obsessive control at that point. It was like the one thing I could try and control, but that's so funny because you can't control whether you fall pregnant or not. It's like it's yeah. just absolutely no, you can't. And, you know, I would do the ovulation tests and all that too, and it's just it was so bizarre because smack bang on every month I'd get that bloody smiley face right, you know, day 14, yeah. you know, get my period day 28 to 30. Like it was just I just was like, no, yeah, something just not right here. This is strange. Um, So I started the medication um, and and the turning point for me there was that one of my friends who I'd been going on a bit of a fertility journey with, she'd been for, so at this point we'd both actually been referred to fertility specialists. So 
through this therapy time that I was having, still trying, um, we did start to see a private fertility specialist in Newcastle. We only have private clinics in Newcastle. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of just where everyone goes. I think there's like two major fertility places in Newcastle. Um, so we were both seeing the same one. So we were kind of having a very similar experience. So hers was more recurrent miscarriage though. And mine was, um, the ectopic, but then just infertility, just couldn't mm. fall pregnant. Did your doctor come up with anything when she ran her test? Everything normal. Okay. Yeah. AMH good. Ultrasound fine. What else did she do? She just did a whole bunch of just like preconception bloods and stuff, which all came back normal, which my, I've never had any health issues yeah. ever. So really just the mild endo is probably the only kind of diagnosis I'd had at that point. And so I'm still weighing heavily on that. I just was like, oh, this is this is what it is. It's definitely the endo. Um, so we started seeing this fertility specialist. And now my friend had been for the tube flush, the HSG ultrasound, you know, and they say that that does give you a really good chance of falling pregnant in that next three months after. And fortunately for her, which... I was so happy given the horrible journey that she'd been on as well. It did work for them. So mm-hmm. she fell pregnant and bless her, she she was so stressed about telling me and I just said, I really expected this and I hoped that it would happen for you. So, you know, um, that was great for them. But then I lost a really crucial part of my support system there because you know, we were really helping each other through. We were really leaning on each other at this stage because it had been very similar amount of time, lots of grief, lots of trauma. So, you know, and that was really hard. Um, you know, we're, we're best friends now, but it was really hard on both of us because she wanted to share with me, obviously couldn't. I couldn't bear almost to even talk to her as much as I normally would, yeah. you know, and that's, that's just another facet to it, um, how it affects your relationships. But so started seeing the fertility specialist and I ended up going for a HSG too. That was pretty much the only sort of thing we hadn't done. And given the ectopic and the endo was probably the next thing to kind of rule any blockages out. Mm. So I had that done, which I'm not sure if you've had one. They're very uncomfortable. Mm. And initially the, the liquid didn't flush through. And I was thinking, oh, no, this is it. This is the problem. But then it did go through um, and it turned out everything was beautiful and normal. Um, There was no blockages. So I thought, well, that's good. Interestingly enough, I actually had a trauma response, though. Mm -hmm. So I um, my blood pressure really dropped, started hyperventilating. I think the pain that I had from that 30-second flush, it just brought back the ectopic. pain but obviously still had a lot of work to do there around that but this is that's almost a year later I'm still struggling with that and my psychologist told me when I told her she said that's a trauma response so because that area obviously I've had this pain there so that was kind of interesting um just another thing to work through so we did the flush and I'm thinking okay everything's looking great that's not the problem so maybe this will this will work for us too unfortunately it didn't so we went through the next two or three months and the specialist just said, you know, go and try then for a few months, come back and see me if you have no luck. So that's essentially what happened. And at this point I'm just hope, like feeling just very hopeless. I'm just thinking. 
Now, all this time, so this is probably a year or 18 months, this is probably getting close to 18 months through our trying to conceive journey. Mm. And we hadn't done like any testing on Bryce. I That's think going to be my next question. Yeah. So I think actually he might have done one sperm analysis prior to the H- HSG. And it came back borderline. She said, actually, we went in for our first appointment and I don't know what I was expecting. I think I was feeling like she was going to be like, get on the bed, let me take your eggs, kind of, you know, I was like terrified. But she actually just looked at me and went, I'm not worried about you. You're very regular. There's no issues there. Aside from the mild endo, I can't see why you wouldn't be falling pregnant. Mm. And then, you know, she said to Bryce, we need to look at you because your test results actually came back borderline. She's like, not terrible, but not great to the point where she said, we've got to test you again because it could, because it goes in three monthly cycles for sperm. Mm. She said it could be that you're in a point where it's it's worse and it's actually heaps better normally, or it could be the opposite way. And that's what we need to find out. So, you know, in my brain then I'm thinking, I was just sitting there like, thinking I was just thinking it was all me this time you know and so then for that to happen I was a bit in shock I think but then we went away did the HSG tested Bryce again went back to the fertility specialist actually no I think we went back to her first following not falling pregnant and she said let's test you again to Bryce and then after he'd done his test I think it was only like a couple of days later she rang us and said I need to see you I'm going to book you in on you know, next available, like as soon as I can. So we were booked in for that following, like I think it was only like a week away, our appointment. And so straight away I looked at him and said, I think that means that there's probably something there that has come back. So we're both feeling very nervous, both feeling kind of hopeful but very nervous, I guess, about what was going to happen. And... Yeah, it was, so we went back for that appointment and as soon as she said those three little letters to me, I just broke down. So we went in and she said, yeah, so Bryce's results are, they have gotten much worse, unfortunately, and it was actually worse in two areas versus just one from the first time. So a significant drop. And she just said, I think, well, no, she didn't even say I think, she said my, my, my suggestion for you guys is that we do IVF and I just couldn't even believe it I just as soon as they came those letters came out of her mouth I thought really are we there already I just thought I thought there would be like I don't know I just thought there would be so many other options before going to IVF I thought there'd be some kind of like fertility drug I don't know, even IUI, I don't know, I just thought, I just did not think we were there yet. So that was really shocking and, um, you know, I I really didn't want to do IVF. I was really struggling with the idea of doing it. Obviously, it had crossed my mind quite a few times before then that we were going to have to end up doing that, Mm. but I didn't want to believe it. And then the fact that it just came around that quick, I just thought, is this really, is this the end of the road then? You know, there's nothing else we can try. And I think, and and conceiving naturally to me at that point in time was just the most important thing. It was just the biggest trigger for me. 
I wanted to be able to do it. I wanted that connection for us. I wanted that experience of getting the test and feeling like you'd done it, you know. And um, so we, we both didn't really cope well with that news. I think for me it was more the, you know, grieving that not being able to do it naturally. And then for Bryce, I think, and, and me as well, but more so, you know, then she started getting out the pamphlets, explaining to us how it worked. And obviously that's very overwhelming. But then the financial side of it came into it. And straight away we're looking at each other going, this is impossible for us right now. You know, we ha- we don't even own a house yet. We just, I don't know, we walked away. Well, we both left that appointment in tears. It was really awful. We, we drove there separately. So we left in tears. We couldn't even really speak to each other, drove away separately and just tried to deal with it, I guess. So that was a really tough couple of days following that. I kind of, I think we just sat on it for a little while and then I thought, all right, well, we'll have a conversation about this when we're ready. And so after this happened, we decided to just take a little break from trying because we were just pretty both pretty broken at that point because then not only were we trying to deal with the fact that we we're going to have to do IVF, um, but then Bryce was also then dealing with this new thought that it was actually him that was the issue and I know how that feels so I was thinking that for 18 months so I was very sensitive towards him and tried to give him the support that he'd given me which you know most males deal with with their emotions a lot differently to females but um, I just kind of had to let him process it how he wanted but I think the major thing for us was going to be affording it so I remember saying to a lot of people at this point that it was going to be a really, really long time before we were going to be able to have a baby because I just knew the chances of us falling pregnant naturally was very, very low and we just couldn't afford it. You know, I had no idea what kind of options there were out there at this point, but um, it was lucky that I came across someone who had done IVF recently through a bulk build clinic and I was like, what? I was like, what? She, <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about? Is this a thing? Like, you know? And then she she told me her experience and, you know, she'd fallen pregnant, you know, first round, which is amazing. And mm. she um, just told me that the prices were incomparable. So I looked into this and we had to travel to Sydney for it. So... They've actually got a few bulk build clinics, I think, in Sydney now, which is just amazing. And, mm-hmm. I mean, we're very blessed because they don't take everybody. You have to be very low risk. You have to be in a healthy BMI. There are certain things I don't think they can work with donors. It's just very – it's just the basics. You have to be really healthy to qualify pretty much to go through this clinic but, you know, we were lucky enough to fall into those that criteria. So we started looking into this and for the first time I felt, in a really long time, I felt hope. And I remember showing Bryce, they have their prices kind of like just laid out on their website and I showed them to him and I think just the look on his face when he looked at it and just went, oh, my God we could do this. Like this could actually be a thing that we could do. 
And I think in that point I'd already decided that regardless of whether we could afford the private IVF or not, I really wanted to try and start it first thing this year. So 2023, just because being that I was going to be 32 this year, when you start IVF, you obviously don't know what that journey is going to look like for you. Mm -hmm. And in my head, I just thought we're going to run into more issues here. Like you just don't know, you know, they hadn't looked at my quality of eggs or anything like that. There's just so many ways it could go from there. You're sort of then starting another journey on top of your trying to conceive journey. So I wanted to get started as soon as possible. And I'd kind of decided that in my head, regardless of finances, I thought we'll find a way. But then when we yeah found this bulk build clinic, it was re- it was a real light bulb moment. We were like, oh my god, we could maybe do this. So we started looking into it, and it kind of came up came around really quick because we'd just done all the testing. So I just got them to send me the list of the tests that you needed, and then I went to my GP and I'd done all of them. That's what I said to the lady on the phone. I said, I can tell you right now, I would have done every single test that you need. Mm. So, yep, got all my results printed off. Bryce just had to do a couple of different other bloods, got those done, sent them all off before Christmas, and then we had a fertility specialist with them booked in for that following January. We went to um, the appointment. And I think by this stage, I had really had a level of acceptance because I was really, I really resented the fact we had to do IVF and I really struggled to get my head around it. A lot of that came from the financial pressure of it, but I also just didn't know. I was honestly, I was scared. Like you hear people's experiences and I didn't know how I was going to go with the hormones, with the injections. And given that I'd had such a hard year mentally and I was just starting to come out the other side, the medication was working well for me. I was having a break from trying to conceive. So my headspace was better and I'm thinking, okay, here I am about to throw myself into another lot of like, you know, it's going to be hard. So we went to that appointment and then I think by then I just accepted it all for what it was, thought, right, new year, we're going to go down this path and we're doing it. And I just said to her, cool, when can I start? She said, well, when's your next period due? I said, probably in like a week. And she said, yep, I'll book you in with the nurse. So nurse appointment next week. And then I literally started that first cycle of IVF that following week after that. So it all came around really quickly. So that was kind of cool. I think I finally was like, oh, my God, I'm doing something productive. Like what if this works, you know? So that kind of felt more positive. Um, And I actually felt really positive going into this round of IVF. I think it's very overwhelming to start with, but once you kind of look at everything one bit at a time, yeah, um, it starts to make more sense and it's really not as daunting as what it seems from the outside. Mm. So we started that and we were really, we were really, really blessed with our IVF journey. And I don't say that lightly because I know a lot of people aren't and a lot of people go through rounds and rounds and rounds and rounds of IVF and, you know, I'm really careful with how I say it to people but, you know, because we're we're sharing everything here, um, we did have a really positive journey and I think that was really important for me. I, I don't know how I would be now or how I would have been at the time if things had have gone differently because our experience up until then was already so hard and I know so many people's are but 
um, I just went into it with this really positive attitude and fortunately for me, I reacted to the drugs really well. I think it probably helped that I already had a very healthy cycle with no sort of real issues around ovulation or cycle length or anything like that. So I was lucky enough to be on quite a low dose of medication, which doesn't, which didn't affect me too much like I thought it was going to. The injections were much easier than I thought they were going to be. I actually quite enjoyed doing it. I had a chart on my fridge with all the dates and all the injections and I ticked them off every day. And then I would go for my bloods and my ultrasounds and it felt very controlled. And I just, it was really a breath of fresh air for me after such a long time of like not knowing if I was doing anything right. It was just so productive. It was, it was, it sounds so bizarre to say, I don't think, yeah. I've never heard it put that way before, but I absolutely love it. (laughs) Yeah, a hundred percent. I just. I remember listening to this podcast actually about another girl that had a similar um, journey, ectopic and all that, and she she had two, so she had lost both tubes, Mm. was terrified of something happening again, and she actually wanted IVF. She kept saying to the nurses and doctors, I just want to do IVF, I just want to do it. And at the time, I could not get my head around it. I just thought... I just was like, why? Why would you want to do that if there's a chance you can fall pregnant naturally? But then, and it kind of, it was good. It was a turning point for me. I think that helped me with the acceptance because I went, maybe I'm looking at this all wrong because what if we do this? A, what if it works? But B, it's going to be such a safer option for me. I'm not going to have that same anxiety around the ectopic. Um, But yeah, I actually quite enjoyed it. It was very... Yeah, I liked the control of it. I liked ticking everything off. And it was just fortunate that every result that I got back from the bloods and the ultrasounds was just spot on perfect. It was just same as my cycles had always been quite textbook. Um, So we went for our egg pickup and we ended up being able to do a fresh transfer. Our numbers were really quite good and quite consistent I don't know if you want me to mention numbers I don't have to completely up to you well I guess what we had I think I had 12 eggs collected 11 were mature nine successfully fertilized on that first night and then when we got to transfer day we had seven suitable that's great so we had a fresh one put in and I think like I almost fell over I was so relieved because you drive, you know, we were coming from Newcastle to Sydney as well for the transfer. So we're sitting in the car driving for two hours. Hadn't heard anything from the clinic because they don't check them until the day of your transfer. They just let them do their thing. Okay. And so I'm driving the whole way there thinking the worst in my head. I'm going like, oh, my God, what if there's none? What if they haven't made it? And so to get in there and then say, you know, that the numbers were so consistent, just I think last night almost both fell over. And one another positive thing I want to mention about IVF is how amazing it is to have the transfer done. Yeah. Because, you know, people don't talk about it a lot, but wow, like that is just such a special experience and it's something that we got to do together. It's something that you don't get to see in natural conception. You know, we got to see our little embryo and we got to see it go into my uterus essentially and, you know, from that minute, 
you walk out the door and, you know, right then and there you are pregnant. You've got a fertilized embryo in your uterus. And I couldn't get my head around that. That is mind-blowing, isn't it? (laughs) Mind-blowing. And we just thought that was such a special thing. It was really lovely that we got to do it together and Bryce got to see it. He got to be a part of it. It was, yeah. So I want to mention that that is something that doesn't get talked about, but it's just such a cool experience. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, and then I just... I was really just riding this positive train and I just felt I felt like just from the minute that embryo went in, I thought, I think this is going to be it for us. I think this is the one. And, you know, sure, that's going to set me up for a bit of a disaster if it wasn't going to be. But I don't know, from the very start, I think just with how well the cycle went, how good I was feeling as well, I think just, yeah, the whole thing just was such a positive experience for me Mm. the clinic that we went through were amazing I'm not sure if everybody has that similar experience this is why I'm so careful about talking about it with people but we had it I can't fault them I just felt like we had such a great experience with them and I think after such a long time of things being so negative it was amazing to have Mm. this positive experience around it so we were very blessed did a home pregnancy test. I made myself wait till about day five, I think, which I wasn't sure how I was going to go with waiting, but I started to feel different. And I'm just such a body aware person, which again, didn't help my entire journey. But I just was like, I think there's something going on here. And so, yeah, we got our first lot of positive pregnancy tests, which, yeah, wow. I still sometimes go back and and look at those pictures and just soak in that feeling because the only positive pregnancy test I'd had was the ectopic, which was so wrong. So that whole experience was so wrong. So, yeah, to know that this was a thing, yeah, it was amazing. And so then I waited until I did the test to see if they were getting darker, which they were, which is obviously a bit of an anxious time, but I just tried to keep riding this positive train. I thought I've just got to stay on this and give this baby the best chance possible at sticking. Uh, so then bloods came back really good and I was like, oh, so I do I get more bloods now? And she was like, no, no, I think, you know, numbers are looking really great. And so I was like, oh, God, what is this experience? Like, what, am, what is happening? Things going well. <laughs> and then I still remember, you know, so then it was just that. And this was the longest wait for me. The You find out you're pregnant literally before you're even four weeks. It's so mm. early. Mm. And then we have to wait till seven weeks to get that first viability scan. Yeah. That felt like forever. So even going into that ultrasound, I think I even said to Bryce, like, is there even going to be anything in there? And I think because my own only experience of a pregnancy ultrasound was there was nothing to Mm. see. So, you know, when he put, he didn't even need to do an internal, when he put it on my belly and I could see the bean and the little thing inside it in my uterus, I thought, oh, my God, there's something in there. And it was, yeah, amazing. So... Yeah, since then, we've just been riding this really beautiful, positive. I just, I think I just knew from the beginning with this one that it was going to be the one. And we've had a really lovely, I've really enjoyed pregnancy and we've had a really lovely experience with it. We both feel 
super connected with Bub, which is something that I was worried about being IVF because I really resented having to do it. Again, I think that positive experience helped with that, but I felt super bonded with Bub from the word go, which was which has been really lovely. So, yeah, there was light at the end of the tunnel for us. I mean, I, you know, I we, we were so blessed with our experience with IVF, but I also don't know what the future will look like either for us. So, you know, once we have this bub, if we decide to have more, of course, then we've got to go back and do it. We don't have to do the whole cycle again. Like we were so lucky that we got six beautiful embryos that we have in the freezer but we obviously will need to go through more rounds more transfers and you just don't know what that journey is going to look like either but for right now it was the missing link for us and yeah we've had a really really lovely year sort of just following that kind of getting our lives sorted buying a house getting a family car you know so it's been a really nice time following a really probably probably the hardest couple of years of my life. I don't know I've if been through a... so much and I'm so happy that it, you have <laughs> had such a beautiful ending to your story. Yeah, I mean, I think that's why when you put the post out there for people who've had a rough time but have seen the positivity, I just thought this is such a perfect story because... We, I really, really was at rock bottom and I just, I guess I just want there to be more awareness around there, around, out there around infertility because it's such a silent struggle. It's mm-hmm. just, and I still, me and my husband still really grieve for all of those couples that are, go- are going through infertility it's something that I'm very careful about speaking, you know, we're just trying to remember that you just don't know what some couples are going through. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that's not, it doesn't have to be my responsibility to be careful around that subject, but it's really important to me because along our journey, we came across just there was certain amounts of hostility from people that you wouldn't expect. There is, you know, the aspect of having to get up every day and live your normal life. There is the aspect of me struggling to function and having my loved ones see that, try and support me through that. It's just, yeah, it's, it's so much harder than anyone can even imagine on the outside if you've not experienced it. so you know my biggest thing when talking about it to people is if you haven't been through it and you struggle to understand it try to just at least try to understand how it might feel and if you still can't just respect people's boundaries listen to what their needs are versus what you think they should be doing so yeah I'm so glad you've been able to just enjoy this pregnancy yeah I mean like I won't lie there's definitely I definitely had my moments of anxiety similar to you I suppose there's just this Mm -hmm. like there's always this little thought in the back of your head like what what if something would happen so you know every milestone that you reach is a relief you know 
Um, and I can't imagine how hard it must be, even in your own case where you've had a few issues in your pregnancy. I'm, I'm so blessed that ours has been so smooth and all of our ultrasounds have been perfect, you know, like growth-wise and all of that. I haven't experienced that trouble pregnancy and I also haven't experienced, you know, even though I've had an ectopic um, where I did really mourn the loss of a baby, you know, I haven't had recurrent miscarriages either. So I can imagine pregnancy after experiencing those things would be so hard and like, you know, my anxiety lies a lot more around the early part of pregnancy with what the trauma that I've been through. Yeah. So the fact that everything's been going quite well since that part, it's probably be easier for me. But I, yeah, I imagine just if you've, you know, if you've had late loss or recurrent miscarriage or other issues come up in pregnancy before, it just must be like you're a warrior. <laughs> yeah. Just day after day of just trying to get on with it and just holding all this hope and just, yeah, just hoping it all goes well. It's yeah. tough. Yeah, 100% it's tough. Mm, yeah. <sighs> I know that was a lot. I feel like we've definitely gone way over time. I'm so sorry. No, no, it's fine. I, I, like, I didn't want to stop you. Like, I just enjoyed listening to your story so much. <laughs> you told it so well. And I was just, I was right in there with you. Mm, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed listening. It's, um... I feel like there's just so many facets to it and I don't want to leave anything out because, yeah, not only is there the trauma side to loss and all of that, but just how bad my mental health got. I think that's so important to raise up because, Mm -hmm. like, I've experienced the same and I had to get outside help and Mm -hmm. should I have been medicated? Maybe. Mm. I'm still taking my medication now. So I um, I take one that's very common, very generic. It's super safe for pregnancy and um, trying to conceive and breastfeeding, all of that. You can take it right through and they they often don't like you to go off them anyway because yeah, there's such that. a shift in hormones. There's, um, there's just a lot going on. And by the time you actually start to feel good on them, I feel like, that's when people then go, oh, I'm feeling much better. I'll go off them. Wow. But that's actually the medication doing its job. Yeah. <laughs> and I think, like, you know, in terms of depression, I feel super healed. I feel like that was a period that I went through um, where it was quite severe. Mm-hmm. But I actually do think that I've struggled with a fair bit of anxiety for, for a long time, way before trying to conceive with lots of different other areas in my life Mm. and so the quality of life that I've actually received from going onto this medication from an anxiety point of view now that the depression is much better I just think I think I should have been on this a long time ago so it's really opened my eyes because I was very against wanting to do it or needing to have to do it I think it's just the strong part of ourselves as as women and you know, we just, we want to do everything ourselves and we think we can fix everything ourselves. And, you know, I, yeah, now looking, I, I don't even know if there will be a time I'll go off it because of how much it's helping my anxiety. And I think that's probably helped a lot through my pregnancy yeah. as well, 
definitely I think it's even going to help through the postpartum period because that is really brutal as well a hundred percent and I said that to my because I still see my psychologists now they've been just such a lifeline for me that I've seen them all through my pregnancy um so that and they they said it's just super important to have that support through postpartum as well but I'm because I've seen how stable it's helped me stay during the pregnancy around anxiety I was kind of hoping that it might help a bit with postpartum as well so that's kind of just a bonus there but um yeah I definitely feel better being on it and it was a really positive part of my journey rather than looking at it as like oh I had to go on medication because I wasn't coping I actually look at it like it was a real savior for me and then it made me realize how much better my life is anyway for other reasons so yeah that was a um turning point as well no, it's such a good perspective to have on it and just like remove any shame or yeah. any of those negative feelings around taking medication yeah 100 this is why i'm so happy to talk about it <laughs> because even with people that i know if i open up about this i always get that I would never have known and mm. that's the that's the scary thing about mental health and trauma, depression, anxiety is that often it is the ones that you wouldn't expect are the ones that are struggling. Yeah. So um, it's just, yeah, it's just something that I get all the time. I'll open up about it and people are like, wow, and then I think it's it's endearing because they look at me as someone who wouldn't, they wouldn't think would need to rely on something like that. But then because I do, they kind of go, it makes them go, oh, well, you know, it's okay that I've been struggling then too. It's just, it's nice just to have that support and that, you know, get people talking about it. It shouldn't be shameful, you know. Yeah. Yeah. agree. No, thank you so much for sharing. No, no problem at all. Um. (laughs) Did you want me to – I had a really hard think about my advice oh, yes. <laughs> to people in a similar um, situation. So I had a really long think about it because I feel like it's actually such a hard question. Mm. It was, you know, I think you want to say to people, you know, keep fighting and stay strong don't give up. You want to say all that stuff because I've obviously been through this hard time and I'm going to have a baby at the end of it. You want to say all that stuff, but I just think when you're in the trenches and it's not happening for you, it's just not what you need to hear. And you hear it so much as just an offhanded comment from people. I think my best advice to people in this situation is to create that village of people around you who understand and can can support you in the way that you need. That was just a real learning thing for me. I had to just work out who was toxic for me at that point, who understood, who was supporting me, you know, set those boundaries and don't be hard on yourself about it, you know, give yourself the grace and just remember that what you're going through is incredibly hard and you just, it is about surviving a lot of the time. And if you need to set those boundaries and you need to keep those people close um, that are going to support you, then I think that's probably my best advice. Apparently, 
perinatal psychologist was the just yeah the best like I mentioned at the very beginning we got a kitten last year right when we were going through all this yeah and it was the absolute best thing I did I'm not saying to everybody get a pet because it's not for everybody but he literally he's I feel like he saved my life I'm had a purpose I had this little thing that just adored me Mm. and it was just perfect so you know self-care and kind of listening to what you need I just knew I needed something to look after (laughs) (laughs) and he was just the best so yeah it's actually great I've never thought of it like that um I guess because I've already I I had a dog throughout my journey anyway but yeah to like bring this little kitten in that you you nurture and look after and yeah yeah kind of divert your attention away like as much yeah yeah. 100% it just instead of everything else consuming me I had something else to focus on and I didn't actually know how hard work it was going to be having a kitten but and he was such a good boy too but I didn't realize how I was going to feel I became so attached and I found it hard to leave the house you know (laughs) imagine I imagine it's exactly what it's like when you have a newborn baby so um that was an experience but um yeah I just I got to a point where I just really had to listen to what I needed and yeah sure I lost some relationships um and there are some things that happened through my journey that I'm not proud of but I do just give myself the grace because it was incredibly tough and I've made it out the other side which is better than not making it out the other side which was a real um possibility there for a little while which yeah is hard to talk about and hard to you know go back to but I just think it's important to mention I agree and I'm so glad that you're here to tell the tale (laughs) thank you me too I'm so um, excited to meet our little baby in a couple of weeks so it was all worth it and I guess that's what you say to yourself in the end it is yeah 100% it is and I think the advice of creating your village it's just it's so relevant no matter what phase of your journey that you're in so Mm -hmm having that during the trying to conceive and the infertility phase and then when you're moving on into parenthood that you need that village there as well 100 percent. that's so true Mm. yeah postpartum is from what i hear can be quite rough so that'll be my next challenge (laughs) (laughs) i think you've got all the tools and you've done so much work that you it will be a I'm going to say it's going to be a breeze, but like you'll definitely still face your challenges, but I think you're going to be well equipped to face those challenges. Yeah. I think that's, um, it's, it's a, it's a bittersweet thing to say because I don't, you can't really say there's much about infertility that is good, but coming into expecting our first baby, the gratitude that we both have and the attitude that we have towards becoming parents and having this little miracle it's just I imagine there would be a lot of couples that it would be a different experience um because they haven't had that hardship and that you know it's just such a deep want in the like you've just got in the depths of your belly you just have this you just you see pregnant women and women with babies and you just want it it just becomes this consuming 
thing. And I think, you know, having that experience as hard as that was to go through what we've learned from it and I feel like the type kind of parents we're going to be because of that is even better than what we could have been before. And we talk about that quite often. So, you know, there, yeah, there's really not much you can say positive about infertility, but that is one thing that I'm grateful for is that, yeah, I just feel like it's going to be, it's going to make us even better parents. 100% it is. Thank you so much for I'm having me. for you. Thank you. And I'm really excited for you too. I just hope everything goes smoothly now. Yeah. And you <laughs> get your little boy here nice and safe. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Messy in the Middle. My main goal for creating this podcast is to ensure other women going through the struggles of infertility and baby loss don't feel alone along this very isolating journey. I want to be able to reach as many women as possible. And in order for me to do this, I would really appreciate if you could subscribe and leave a rating and review on iTunes and Spotify. Also, if you have any feedback or suggestions of what you'd like to hear, please get in contact with me through the Messy in the Middle Instagram page. Sending you so much love and strength on your journey to baby.